Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. This episode concludes season one of Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. I just want to say how thankful I am for those of you who have been with us listening during this really hard time. So thank you so much for hearing our stories and for just um, tuning in. It's been um, it's been such a joy for me uh, to do this and to sit with people and to listen to them, but also to take the step to do this because I was very, very scared to do it. So thank you so much. I really, I mean, we just really appreciate it. I don't know about you, but this year has made me continuously reframe many narratives that I've had. And I have immersed myself in learning from others and spending time listening. I thought that in this last episode that I would just share a few of these topics that I have been thinking about and that has been coming, has come to the forefront um, of my brain and in my life. So one of them has been around race in general. I have had to, I've had to think about my own need to continually recognize my unconscious biases that I have held. And I've had to think about how I have perpetuated racism in our country as being a white woman and from just things that I do or not do. And from my privilege, I've recognized that I need to dig more into our history that hasn't made it into our conventional textbooks or that we were taught in school per se. I learned so much from listening to black women and black trans women this year. And some of the things I learned, for instance, is around our medical system and our medical care and research and how black bodies, especially those who identify as women were used in just awful ways for everyone else's benefit. Specifically, if you look into the history of obstetrics and gynecology, it's just so sad to me to know uh, some of the things that these women went through. I, just, I mean, there's just no reason for it. And more and more, I'm learning that I need to be okay with stepping back. White bodies have hurt so many other bodies in the name of power, and it's just, it's not okay. And frankly, it's sickening. And this inequality and abuse of power reflects non-consent and it affects our sexuality and the way that we view others. And some of this history is why we still can't get our heads around consent. So much of our history is based on non-consent. And so as simple as consent seems maybe to people, it's not, it's not easy. And we have to continuously learn and talk about it today and recognize the way that we've harmed and how we've harmed each other. It's just really unhealthy. And this lack of care and valuing of others, you know, continues today. So we need to help stop this by beginning with ourselves and looking at how we ourselves can change. And we begin this by learning and taking action to help stop the systems that continually oppress us. Another thing I've learned is that many believe everyone else besides them are having great sex. Here's the thing. More and more people are being honest that they struggle with sexual intimacy, especially those who have had religious trauma. There are many of us who aren't quite sure how to let go and experience pleasure. We don't know how to have the conversations that we want around them. And beyond that, we aren't sure what we ourselves want. If we weren't given the permission to explore that, it's hard to know. It's hard to even take the steps to learn. We are also skeptical of our fantasies. Are we even allowed to have fantasy? One of the things that I talk about with people is learning how to change our expectations around sex. What does sex mean to you? How do you want to be treated? What is normal and what feels good to you? What is, and by that, I mean, what is normal to you, not what is normal compared to society, right? Because someone else's normal may not be normal for you. So each of us 
you know, we vary in the amount of sex that we want to have. Each of us vary in the way our body responds to sex. So it's okay to take time to get to know what your body needs and wants. Allow yourself to fantasize. For those who have experienced religious trauma, spend time deconstructing the messages you were given and the myths around them. I'm telling you that it's okay. God created us as sexual beings, no matter how that is expressed. Some of us may not feel sexual, and that's okay. Our sexuality is big, and it's something that we get to explore, and we can do that when we are ready. There is no timeline. I just wish for everyone that we can say that over and over again. There is no timeline for how our life plays out or how our sexuality is expressed. We get to explore it on our own time, at our own pace, and that's okay. I also learned that resting is okay. Taking care of ourselves is necessary and okay. That is my word of the day, okay. (laughs) Our worth lies in us and who we are and not what we do. And I'm telling you, I struggle with the worth thing. I really, really do. And I'm not going to lie about that. But we learned this year, it's how we show up for ourselves and other people that matter. We need each other. We need empathy and care. Because I don't think we can do much without those things. Also, I learned that change happens first with ourselves. We can get angry and blame all we want. But until we look at how we are responding participating, or ignoring important issues or emotions we might experience, things will not change. This concept has been a big one for me over the past year. I recognize that for too long, I was stuck in a pattern that wasn't great for me. And so I have begun to change. I have put myself back into therapy because of it, because I've recognized the ways I overreact or the ways I under respond to people. And so it's important to see those things and to know that you are the person that holds the power to help change what you may or may not like. I had to check my reactions and my responses and my feelings and how I affect others. It's been hard work and sometimes it hurts but I know that it's a necessary step for me as well. And I hope that if you are feeling stuck or that you need a change, that you're able to do that, to take the steps that you need to make that happen for yourself because you're worth it, right? We all have to recognize that we are worth the work no matter how hard it may be. You know, this year for me was about friendships too, of reconnecting of being with one another, of coming back to one another. (laughs) I don't know if I already said that. Of checking in continuously with one another. I mean, thank God, right? Thank God for friends and building a community of people who who get you, who get you and love you even in the mess. I believe the mess is where we really find each other. It's where we equally see one another and are able to hold each other. Friends got me through this crazy, emotional, long days. And really, I see them more clearly now, and I love them even more. And I'm just so appreciative of them handling my craziness. (laughs) The times when I've reached out and said weird things, or where I called just crying, or when I made them all get on Zoom so we could dance with each other. I just really appreciate all of them because they just really helped me through this year so much. The other thing that I've been thinking so much about is the aspect of pleasure. What is our relationship with pleasure? If we think of it purely from a sexuality standpoint, which I believe obviously pleasure goes beyond sexuality, some of our first initial experiences with our sexuality was when we would explore and touch our genitals when we were young. And many of us were met with the phrase, don't do that. Stop that. That's gross. So some of us may feel like 
if we look at pleasure from a point of just pure joy and experiencing, you know, life around us, maybe some of us get filled with joy that we want to start dancing in the streets. This is, this is who I am. When I am full of joy, I'm going to dance that out. But we are told to stop because we are embarrassing. Don't do that. That's embarrassing. So then our joy and pleasure makes others uncomfortable. So we subdue it. And then when people are loud and boisterous with laughter, many times in our culture, they are told to be quiet. Does this silencing of joy or the way we limit our joy and pleasure then transfer over to the bedroom? These are the things I ask myself. Because if we've been told that sometimes our pleasure is filled with shame or that's gross, we need to stop. Or if we're constantly told to be quiet, which guilty as charged, I know I've told my kids this sometimes when they're being too rowdy. Or if our joy is maybe not expected in some certain social situations, then we make people uncomfortable then how are we able to re, to be fully in touch with what pleasure and joy can offer and what it really is? And this could be why many of us don't have a good relationship with pleasure and maybe even fearful of it. So I ask, what brings you pleasure and how would you express pleasure if you weren't quieted over it? What would that look like in your life? So I encourage you to spend some time thinking about that. Like, where do you find pleasure each day? And where do you find joy? And how do we operate living out of those things? And I mean that too, of how can we express pleasure and show joy too, without the cost of others? So these are some of the things that I had to reframe and think about over the year. And I'm very curious what you had to reframe this year. What was that for you? And if you would like to, I would love for you to visit our Facebook page, Reframing Our Stories, and comment and just write a comment and talk to us about what it is that you have had to reframe and what have you learned And where's that taking you now? And how are you living your life differently? So the next part of this podcast, you will hear a little bit of me and Jenny talking about, again, like what she's had to reframe and just having this conversation together. So thank you again for joining us. One of the things I guess I'll start with, and I think Jenny, you and I will just kind of go back and forth, right? If you're okay with that. How are you doing today, Jenny? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so I know one of the things that happened this year that was that I'm grateful for in this chaotic time was the chance to really reconnect or not reconnect, um, connect to other sex educators out in the world. It was my first time of really of really getting to know and seeing all the people who are working in this field in multiple ways. And I have just been so deeply impressed by every person I have come across in this field and just the passion that they hold and their uh, willingness and ability to talk about topics that many people struggle with and the way that they come, come, from a place of deep compassion and care for people was just truly astounding to me and gives me so much hope for a future that we're going to be able to have these conversations more and more that will help people in their relationships. So for me, that was really kind of amazing, especially to sex educators in their own right also push each other to make sure we see everyone um, and help us if we are recognizing that we're not seeing people. So helping our lessons in terms of are we recognizing those with different abilities and are we making sure our lesson plans are allowing for diversity 
and being trauma informed, you know, so that's been really great for me of making me become a better educator for sure. What about you, Jenny? I think what's been interesting is seeing how this pandemic has affected people, has affected what you've been able to do in terms of what you would normally do Mm -hmm. with teaching in schools and being able to have, you know, the table talk, the sessions that you have with kids on different topics around sexuality and some of the workshops that you had to switch to, to doing by Zoom Mm -hmm. and just seeing Zoom fatigue even and having to constantly assess you know, what can we do to continue to move forward and have offerings for people that would provide value and enable the kinds of conversations we're hoping people will have. Mm-hmm. So that kind of shifting and responding throughout this past year and a half really has been an adjustment. And I think it's been, it's been a journey. Yeah. I have to say, I've been really grateful that we've been doing so many table talks. And for those who don't know what our table talks are, it's uh, we offer sessions to families who hire me to come into their space and I teach their kids and their kids' friends. Uh, And it's a really very customized, personalized experience because the parents are very involved and they pick the topics they want me to talk about. And so we did some over Zoom with some of the kids, which was interesting. And then as things opened up more, we did it in their backyards. And I have to say, those are some of my favorite teaching experiences because kids really respond so much more when they're in a more intimate setting and they're able to kind of connect to things more and they're more willing to write down some of the hard questions and they're okay with learning more about this stuff with their friends because they feel safe with their friends. And so it's just been kind of a really fun, enjoyable experience having those times. And they they just like are so much more deep too, you know, the things that they say and they open up so much about stuff they're experiencing with their parents, you know. And I also appreciate being able to speak with them and give them insight from a parent's perspective, but also understanding what it was like to be a youth. And so being able to speak with them and be like, oh my gosh, I totally get where you're coming from, from this experience somewhat, right? You can't always get what people are saying, but I also want you to hear from our perspective, this is what we're thinking and hearing and feeling probably as your parents. And so I think they kind of appreciate that, that I'm giving them different perspectives, which, you know, we all need. So the other thing that really happened for me that was really was, and I've talked about it on other podcasts that I have been interviewed on. So if you heard there's, I'm apologizing for repeating, but I think it just speaks to the necessity of connection. And I connected with seven women from my junior high and every day we message each other back and forth. And it has just been such a lovely experience because we're talking about all the hard things. And what's been really great is, you know, some stuff for me has been a bit triggering this year, just in my own personal life. And they have been able to speak to me in a different way because they have known what my childhood was like when I experienced some rough patches Um, And they were able to give me insight in a way that others couldn't. And I just really deeply appreciated that. And it made me think of Pamela Joy's uh, podcast where we, where she talked about the way that she talked to all of her friends when she started talking about sex and all of my girlfriends and I talked about the fact of why didn't we talk about this stuff when we were younger, you know, like I wish we could give the gift to, to the younger generation of saying, it's okay to talk about these things. It's okay to open up about this stuff. And I try to do that in our sessions when I say to them, when we talk about puberty and how we're changing, and I say to them, this is the time that we get to learn how to support one another. And this is the time where we learn how to be with each other 
um, because we're experiencing and thinking so many of the same things. So I hope that our world can continue to foster places and spaces where we can all just learn how to talk openly about the experiences we are having. I think that's been eye-opening with these podcasts also is the people that you've talked with and their willingness to share deeply personal stories that have been challenging or painful or learning experiences that has changed their path and their lives and even in their in some cases their their work and that example I guess of being able to hear people opening up in that way and what it's done for them and what they've learned from it has been really valuable I think even for me personally Mm. being able to think about that and being able to access that and understand that having those kinds of conversations with that degree of openness is is a good thing it's a good thing for learning and for working through some things like you're saying from the past or your childhood or things that caused pain that maybe you didn't work through mm-hmm. it's been positive what are some things that have come up for you during this year of lockdown I think for me I've thought a lot about race being Japanese American I've thought a lot about Um, what's happened with this pandemic and an increase in Asian American violence. Mm -hmm. So just being able to think about my own family and history and think about how that, how that affects me personally and how I see myself, how I carry myself day to day, um, what kind of feelings I have of frustration or anger Mm -hmm. on how some, you know, some of this violence has just been extremely upsetting. So I think being able to not ignore that and think think about it spend time talking about it with friends and with family has been really it's been valuable to be able to do that yeah and you've been uh very active in the church right around the race committee that we have within our own personal church space what was that feeling like because I know you recently shared stories about your father and things what was that experience like for you Yeah, I've been involved with the racial justice ministry at our church and talking about what can be done to be more intentional about how we respond and how we move forward and how we proactively more address the issues of racism. And I think part of that is making sure that, you know, people are not being silenced and are being heard and seen. And it's part of the reason why I think I was wanting to share my dad's story which was that he grew up you know being born here in the United States and was interned in the in the camps the Japanese Americans that were interned during World War II and just sharing that experience and the impact that has had not just on his family but on my family and being his child and what kind of experience that led to growing up here in the United States after you know his family went through so much so I think I think being able to share about those stories and making sure people understand your your history and what has influenced you or impacted you has been it's been valuable for me it's been it's been a growth experience I think that's not something I normally would have talked about in the past Mm. or had a willingness to spend time on it's it's been a change for me to be able to talk about that. I think another thing that I've been loving about some of the experiences you've been sharing, even on social media, is um, the letters that you've been having translated from your parents. Their love, oh, right. their letters back and forth. Yeah, my parents uh, met when they were 16 in Japan and over the course of 17 years wrote. 540 letters to each other that I'd never been able to read. So part of this pandemic, I've been spending time kind of getting them cataloged and then through friend found a translator that could help me understand what this correspondence was about. And that's been, (laughs) that's been very interesting to meet my mom as a, as a young woman through these letters. It's the the letters that I'm having translated right now are my mom's letters and um, we'll, we'll work on my dad's letters later. What did you learn about your mom? <laughs> She's an adventurous person. She, she took a lot of risk, I think, to come here. Um, 
she was born in Japan. So being able to come here after a hard time in Japan after the war, I think was a pretty huge risk. And being willing to do that and start a new life in another country is something that, you know, I think about in a different language. That'd be extremely challenging. Um, but but she did it and they they had a, a long life together. So it's been eye-opening to read these letters. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too racy yet. They're not married yet in where we are in the letters. <laughs> so we'll see. I'll keep you posted. I know that be fun. <laughs> I can imagine going, oh, look at their yeah. mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, I've had friends who said, well, you can't read it. What, you know, what, what if you're shocked by what you read or find through these translations? And then someone else said, it's maybe grocery lists. Maybe it's nothing <laughs> of significance at all. Uh, but so far, it's kind of been just day-to-day life. They wrote so many letters, you know, not a whole lot changes day-to-day. So some of it's about the weather and about how things were, you know, trips they were taking or, or whatnot. So it's been interesting to hear her her point of view at that age. <laughs> I think that's really fun. I actually have spent time going through journals, actually, during this time, where I pull journals out to reflect on, <laughs> I guess, as I've changed. <laughs> as sad as that is but I look through and and definitely I will say it's helped me recognize areas where I'm stuck for sure and that um where I need growth where I'm kind of talking about some of the same things and I'm like that's a little silly that I'm journaling about similar feelings that I did when I was 25 or so but but you hopefully are also seeing areas where you've grown right and have yeah have have changed your point of view and expanded and it's made me see where I of who I truly am I would say of the things that matter so much to me like a lot a lot of the journals talked about just really wanting to write and dance you know that that's really uh the forms that I use to express myself but also the fact that sometimes I stay away from them. So uh, I find it because I care so deeply about them. I think I also scare myself around them too. And so I'm recognizing that I need to continuously look at that and to live into that fear a little bit of why is it that I'm putting those off? So I'm being intentional of trying to find dance again you know as things are opening up to find a way to to move my body because that's always been the place where I deeply connect and it's also been the place where I've been able to release you know since we things live in our bodies that we hold so that's good I guess and you've been writing you should talk about your writing a little bit tell us about your writing Kira (laughs) Well, actually, from the moment when I was a fourth grader, I remember thinking that what I've really wanted to do was write children's books. Um, But I actually, now that I'm a grown person, want to write many different books. And I think over this course of time being at home, I've really thought about just with my own kids, how can we reach each other and provide tools for people to talk about sexual health in everyday ways? And so one of the things that I have written is an ABC body book. Uh, It's going to be called Our Body Out Loud, an ABC book. It's to help uh, young families start learning how to use the anatomical correct words for our body parts that we often don't like to say. Because as a health educator, when I'm in the fifth grade classes and starting to teach about, you know, our reproductive anatomy and their functions, it is my dream someday where I can say the words and the kids, many of them (laughs) don't 
uh, you know, fall in their chairs or pull their shirts up over their faces and feel horrified. So, um, and we talk about that, right? When I'm with those kids, I'm like, why do we feel this way? You know, it's because we don't hear them enough. And then we talk about what if we heard them when we were getting potty trained and the kids would be like, well, that would make sense. And I was like, right, because we use those body parts every single day. So we talk about those things. And so this book, I, I wanted to make it fun, um, but developmentally appropriate. Um, but also show we have a wonderful illustrator right now. Uh, my friend Anne, who is working on illustrations that represent families doing everyday things, because these are everyday conversations uh, that we can have. And so I'm excited for that. And we're just continuously working on bringing more tools, right, for families to have these conversations. So that's one of the right, some of the writing I'm doing. <laughs> and we're going Good. to start a kickstarter campaign for that soon so for those of you who follow along with um, reframing our stories you can follow us at reframing our stories on facebook and instagram uh, where we will post our kickstarter campaign to get this book published so that'll be exciting one of the other things jenny that we talked a lot about that i thought was really interesting and still hold true now is the negotiation of safety. I feel like so many of the conversations we had to have around, um, you know, being masked or who we spent time with or how we were going to live our lives during this past year also resemble a lot of the conversations that are important to have around, you know, the safety or being safer when we have sexual or intimate relationships. And what's interesting to me within that is that a lot of the conversations I ended up having with people, you know, around our age and some who are younger as well, talked about really how they weren't ever taught really to have those conversations. And so being able to then learn how to talk to one another about, well, what do you feel comfortable with? What don't you feel comfortable with? Where are we going to draw the line? and things like that. And I know I've had some of my friends group operated on, we operate with uh, whoever feels the least comfortable of doing something. Like we operate at their level. Oh, that's good, right? It's like this, when you're negotiating, you know, something with someone else, this idea of, I've heard it as take the kind of conservative person's point of view on it right so if, if they are more comfortable being outside or mm -hmm. people stay masked or whatnot then you then you go with that because the people who are comfortable being inside and unmasked you know they could they could negotiate that it's it's less for them to meet outside than it would be for the person to have to come inside and kind of the anxiety or worry or stress that could potentially then come with that but yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, I've had conversations and it, it is hard. It's hard to bring up, you know, it's almost like, well, who are, who else are you seeing? Mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> who else have you been with? This is so true. I mean, it so resembles and we have a blog post on this. It so resembles, uh, yeah, just the conversations of, you know, needing to protect our bodies. And then what's interesting though, is that you see this element of shame still that is passed around, around this experience in the pandemic. And it's something where I hope as a nation and as a country we can grow from because someone shouldn't be shamed or we shouldn't be shaming people for um, what feels good in terms of how to keep themselves safe for their bodies, right? It's a person's individual choice and experience. And then to recognize, to be people of community, we also have to recognize how do we keep each other the safest? And then how do we work together to make that the goal, right? Instead of casting blame, <laughs> you know, there's so much blame that people were 
uh, passing around or shouting at each other or judgment. Right. You know, and it's, it kind of just opens, it opened my eyes a lot and to recognize the hard conversations. Like we're not as equipped of having those hard conversations. And I've been telling parents continuously like this is the sexual health and sexuality issue that you can be working on continuously with your kids is how do we navigate these hard conversations and how are you having these with your own friends and family, you know, cause they're hard, they're hard to do. Hence the name right. hard conversations. <laughs> but- right. And I think a tendency of people, some people, right. To even avoid having the conversation. Well, I'm just not going to go. I'll say, I'll say I have something else I have to do, or my kid has a thing or, you know, I, I'll just not go. So Mm -hmm. even avoiding interaction Mm -hmm. um, because they can't have the hard conversation instead, right? Like to say, well, you know, what are, what we'll be be doing or, you know, how are we meeting or where are we meeting and how will it be? Here's what I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be, you know, outside or I'd like to be wearing a mask or I'm not going out until I get a vaccine or, or whatnot. You know, I mean, I think that there's that level of avoidance that's also happening. And I think it's going to continue to happen because oh, yeah. we're at different levels of comfort with where everything sits even now mm-hmm. with, you know, where we are and who's been vaccinated, who hasn't, how, mm-hmm. pe- how comfortable are people with this new variant or not? How comfortable are they with vaccines or not? Yeah. It's just an ongoing environment that creates these uncomfortable conversations. So you're right. I think being able to have them and being able to not avoid and bring it up if, if the other people aren't is, is an important thing to be able to do for everyone. And I'm wondering because of this, if this is going to, I wonder if this is going to help change the way we enter into relationships, you know, in the future or for those who are not in monogamous relationships, if they're able to have, if they're able to um, better advocate for themselves, you know, like has this year, has one thing that's come out of the year that's positive is this skill set, you know, that we've kind of had to develop. I don't know. Yeah, I hope so. Right. I mean, how many people do we all know that you say, oh, that's great. Is that an exclusive relationship? And their response is, oh, I hope so. It is for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, we actually haven't talked about it, so I'm not sure. Maybe that's something I'll bring up next time. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's one of those things where my hope is, I think this, it's an element of compassion and care, right? Like this, this element of, we need to have compassion and care for ourselves and some of us do to a point, but also some of us don't, right? And it's this, this element of recognizing where our worth is, but also being able to see that for other people. You know, so my hope is that we can learn how to develop this care and compassion for ourselves and for one another, where then we can like strive to have these conversations and to strive to be able to have that sense of advocacy you know because I I even it goes with like the sense of consent like a lot of the kids who I talk with and when I talk to them about even saying um we do different scenarios right around consent conversations and I'm like okay what if you go to a party and you just got an argument in the car and you no longer feel like you want to be social or touched or want to hug anybody but yet your parent says, go hug Uncle Tom <laughs> or something like this. Um, are you going to hug him or are you going to say, no, not at this time, but I, I will later. And so many kids say to me, I would just hug him. Oh, and I said, okay. and I say, even if you don't feel like it. And they're like, yes. And I go, so unpack that more for me. Why would you, do, you know, what makes you want to do that? It's just easier, they say, and I don't want to make my parents mad. Oh, how interesting. And you think about how that relates to future relationships that they could have, right? Like you're oh, yeah. in some long-term thing with somebody and 
it's just easier. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make them mad. Yes. I mean, how, how, I mean, I know I've had that thought myself, you know, of, well, we don't like disappointing people. We don't like feeling like we're estranged or uh, we're going to be singled out in some way where uh, we're going to look foolish or something like this. Like, for instance, let's say nobody's wearing masks, but you still feel like you want to wear a mask because maybe you live with a person who's immune compromised at your home. And so you decide, you know, it's that whole aspect of how are we going to then act in the future, right? Like, how are we going to respond to those things? I don't know if I made that clear. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's this idea of thinking, what do I feel about this? And how do I want to handle this? And an example I would give is, I've recently gone into different stores or businesses, and I am not sure what the rules are or what people are doing, right? So in Mm -hmm. some cases, I'll go somewhere and there's not a single mask on. In others, it looks like a bunch of people are wearing masks. And I would say I'm guilty of doing whatever I see the people they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking for myself, what am I actually comfortable with? What Mm -hmm. do I want to do in this situation and think about it in that way instead of, well, what are all these other people doing? What does the sign on the door say? Um, You know, and, and spending a second just to think for myself of how do I feel about this? Mm -hmm. And do I feel strongly enough about it that even if nobody else is wearing a mask, you know, I will. Mm -hmm. And it's like, who are we willing to disappoint? for our own sense of safety right or sense of belonging right Mm -hmm. yeah so this is like been an entire year in my opinion of sexual health (laughs) conversations training for those conversations yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and to recognize even in my own skill set where I need to grow in that area you know, oh, right. yeah. my own sense of trepidation that I feel when I have to approach those topics and that sen- that feeling that you get in your chest and things like that of, oh, yeah, how do yeah, you like, approach that? It's that, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> we have to go here. We have to have this discussion. I don't want to. That's why, I mean, I make kids practice it, right? Because gosh, if I could go back and learn how to do this and how to approach these hard conversations in a different way, I just feel so, things would have been so much different. And so I put them through scenarios and they're like, I don't even know how to do this. I'm like, well, let's work it out. <laughs> let's be awkward together. Let's just just, right. let's just learn it together, right? Because now you have practice and then you're going to be able to think about it a little bit more. That's true, right? Like this, that awkward feeling, even getting over the hump of allowing yourself to feel like that versus not letting it happen and avoiding it or not having a conversation or running away from it or, you know, not going to the thing or not going into the store or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think being able to know if I don't practice this now, I'm always going to feel like this every yeah. time anything uncomfortable comes up. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, And that maybe being abrupt or awkward is just a part of that, right? Like that's, that's going to happen. Some people are very smooth, though. Some some people I hear, you know, in different scenarios, bringing up very awkward things in a very polished and smooth way. And I think there is this feeling, too, like, well, I'm not going to sound that good when I bring this topic up. It's not going to sound that fair Mm -hmm. and measured and diplomatic. It's going to sound like abrupt and uncomfortable and kind of like a like a record needle scratching across. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like soundtrack in my personal, (laughs) my mind, whenever. In your mind, right? The screeching, shrieking. I did another thing awkward. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did it again. How uncomfortable. Oh, it's on repeat. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) 
I said I would never do that again. And here I did it again. <laughs> here, here I am, right? That's yeah. Too funny. Oh, that's, I mean, that's the truth. But that's the thing, right? Like, if we can just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to share this vulnerable part of myself. I was in therapy today and my therapist said, could you maybe be kind to yourself? <laughs> and I'm like, all right. You know, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to be a certain way. I think as a parent, right, I have ideas of how it is that I want to raise my kids and what I want for them, but then I actually put more pressure on myself. And then I know other parents feel the same when they come to my workshops and they talk about that. And I try, like, we have to just understand, like, we are, I feel like we're like these awkward, sloppy human beings. (laughs) And if we can just like hold ourselves a little bit more with kindness and understand that that's the case, that then in our attempts to talk about the awkward and the attempts to try to sound, you know, not like a record scratching, that the positive part of the experience is that we are opening our mouths and <laughs> trying to communicate right? And then trying to get it out. Cause I say like with parents all the time, when they're trying to talk to their kids, I'm like, listen, you know, you're trying and you're going to make mistakes. And that is a part of it, but keep trying, keep being available, keep doing it. You're going to sound awkward. That's fine. Just keep trying. Right. So. Right. I think one thing I've said to my kids is, Hey, if, if I was an expert, in doing this, I'm sure I would never make a mistake and everything would come out great. And the way I ask you and my tone issues and other things, other mm-hmm. baggage that I bring to, why is this thing on the coffee table? Um, you know, mm-hmm. would be would be much better. But I've never done this before. I haven't been a parent before, before these yes. two, mm-hmm. right? If I was if I had 20 years of experience doing this already, maybe I'd do a better job, but seriously, but oh I God. don't. So yeah, I think the idea of being kinder to ourselves and, you know, even admitting that to our kids and saying, Hey, if I was an expert in this, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure I... it would be going a lot more smoothly, but unfortunately you got kind of a learning on the job situation here. <laughs> with I've me. said, I've said to my kids a number of times, I'm like, so I'm glad that I'm able to teach you that we make mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Mistake number 423. (laughs) (laughs) If we need to label it, here you are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Mm. I think we work so hard at, uh, at least, you know, in my thinking, I, I, I think about things that I feel like my parents could have done better and I just rebel against those things right and I think about here's what I won't ever do to my kids that thing that happened to me but then in doing that I don't even have a model then of how to to Mm -hmm. respond otherwise right so Mm -hmm. like in moments of anger or whatever my sister said to me once she's like oh my god you sound exactly like our dad when you get mad Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's just this, you know, you, you do kind of what you know, what you've seen, what you've learned. Yeah. And maybe those are the things that, you know, you think you would be better at. So there's a lot of judgment, I think, as well, that comes with parenting that you think, oh, I shouldn't have done that that way. I lost, I lost it a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Or I acted just like my parent and I yeah. said I would never do that. So, you know, therefore failed in that situation for example it makes it a a lot harder when you're not like you're saying being a little more forgiving of yourself and what you what you have in terms of examples and role models when I think like one of the things that I've learned too this past year is that if I don't like something if I want something to change it has to be with me first right like there's all these things that living in a house with all of your people (laughs) all the time like we did we got annoyed with one another and maybe um, some imperfections were highlighted a lot more or 
people's little things that they do that irritate you or emphasize to the nth degree. I recognized within that, like, if this thing is annoying to me, or if they're not doing exactly what I've been wanting them to do, or to, you know, in this sort of way, I'm like, well, they're not going to change necessarily, right? Like, I have to be the person to change. And how can I change my response? How can I change my reaction? (laughs) How can I communicate differently? And then what work am I going to do for myself to learn? And I think like that is an area too, where it's hard work. And sometimes I'm wondering if, if people are up for the hard work, you know, but even in, you know, the element too, of, I think all of us learned this year that a little bit, like we talked about before with race, that we have a big learning curve here. (laughs) Like there's, a lot of things that we need to unlearn and there's things that we need to change about how we've operated for years. And that change starts with ourselves and looking at, you know, what are the ways that we have contributed? What are the things that we have decided to turn our eyes from? I don't know. It's, I think that's just been the biggest thing. Cause I feel like there's been times in my life where I have looked or blamed or found ways to be like, well, this isn't my problem. Right. Right. Yeah. And now I'm like, "Mm." I'm taking a lot more responsibility, I think, than I ever have before with the way my life has turned out or the way different things have happened in my life or just in terms of, you know, life around me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think spending this much time at home and with ourselves and with our thoughts, Uh, you know and and seeing maybe repeating the same things for example with our kids is not effective perhaps another way of thinking is necessary and I think that applies to how we live our lives and what we see happening around us and just all the different inputs that we have right from from everywhere the news or social media or even things that we've learned about people that we've known for years. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you process all that information and think of it in a different way to kind of work through it and, and be okay with it? I mean, I think especially being trapped at home and, you know, kind of being in this place of realizing so many things, it's, it's forced us to kind of rethink things in order to to be able to get through this time, which has been challenging, so challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't run off and go out and find a little escape, or you don't have any even an option, right, to look forward to your vacation that you planned or what. Right. It's kind of like, well, I'll be here again tomorrow, so yeah. <laughs> I better figure this out. I can't oh I can't escape by searching for this uh, Airbnb that I need in whatever place because I probably mm. won't be able to go. <laughs> it's true. So, you know, I think there's only so much sitting at home and watching through Netflix that you could do before you spend some time. You have to spend some time and actually confront some of the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I will say I got through quite a bit of Netflix. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I went and rewatched a lot of Seinfeld. Oh, you did. <laughs> I was like, well... I think we need to watch a show about nothing because it feels like we're doing a lot of nothing at home. So let's just continue <laughs> the trend. Which Keep seems that strange. going. But another thing, actually, I think that I know from conversations I've had with other couples and things that's been hard for people is the sense of intimacy, right? Like this past year, people struggled a lot with... Um, knowing how to be intimate with our partners in a time that was scary. Um, and in a time when we had for those who had families, but I also know those who don't um, partners who were together, but don't have children and stuff have also struggled um, with touch and intimacy. But just the fact that we were asked to play so many different roles and how that 
makes an impact in how we relate to our partners and then wanting to feel a sense of desire and, <laughs> you know, being able to experience any true connection is, was so difficult for many people this last year. Yeah. I think the just the overall fatigue and feeling overwhelmed and having to wear so many hats had an impact for sure. Definitely a challenging time, especially with everybody home all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to say, like, I think a conversation too needs to be had where we need to emphasize where we're not able to connect sometimes with our partners. Like it's so important still to try to mean can make a connection with ourselves, you know, and there were so many more articles. I don't know if you saw on the web or whatever about solo sex and masturbation and the fact that the, um, and because people, a lot of people weren't having sex because of COVID. And so, um, or who couldn't be together and if they're in long distance relationships and stuff, so just the element of being able to, you know, experience sex with yourself is also very important and a good way to connect to, to who you are and to know what you like and don't like and not enough conversations had around that, I feel. I think the birth rate went down too, right? Wasn't there some thought that we could have like a baby boom out of COVID, but actually no, yeah, the birth rate went down? I don't know for sure, but it would make sense to me that that, that would be the case. I think yeah. more so than any other kind of traumatic Being thing. stuck at home situation. Yeah, I, I think too, people were worried about, you know, how long is this going to go on? Am I going to have to be in the hospital? Yeah having a kid at the same time as, you know, an outbreak in the ER of not enough respirators or hospital beds or whatnot. Well, another thing that's a little crazy, and I don't know if you recognize this, is it's going on a year of you and I being in business together, Miss Jenny. Hooray! It's been a year. A year Hasn't it? COVID. Yes, but we've done a lot. I feel like a lot's happened. I know. I'm amazed. First of all, I'm just going to publicly thank you for being my partner and for just, you know, I'm realizing that maybe sometimes (laughs) I'm a lot to handle and you do it very well, Jenny. (laughs) That sometimes my creative, my creativity gets to be a little much. (laughs) You have to rein me in. It's good creativity. It's good. It's good big thinking and ideas. <laughs> but this has been fun. And I'm really still grateful that you're my partner. And I feel like um, we have so many things in store to help families and churches and schools that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Don't you think so? I do. And I think, I think in a year where we had to make a lot of shifts and adjustments, we, we got a lot done too seems it always feels like things could happen faster but at the same time you know launched a website uh, you started your podcast you got certified as a sexual health educator yeah got some products out with the conversation cards those have been a big a big goal that we had to get those started in this past year so I'm excited about those those things that we were able to get done in in the midst of the pandemic yes So we're excited for season two that's coming up for the podcast um, with a lot of different interviews. Some of the topics are around intersex. Some of the topics are around shame-free parenting for um, when talking about sexual health. We also have a dancing pastor. Uh, We have conversations uh, directly related around puberty and then other sex therapists who offer their expertise in a number of different areas. So it's going to be a good season. However, I also want to say that if you feel like you have a story that has had to be reframed for you, please reach out to us at our website, www.reframingourstories.com on the contact form. And we would like to get in touch with you. And because I think it's so important to just offer up 
you know, everyone's stories. Uh, and again, like I had said in the beginning, we learn from each other in human sexuality. And it's so important to continue these conversations and to care for one another and have compassion for one another. So uh, please feel free to do that. It would be loved. It would be so lovely to connect with you. And also uh, know that though we are opening up, we are still able to operate on Zoom if, we, if you are outside of California or once we're able to travel more, we definitely do workshops and travel to different places to help these conversations and would love to be able to do that for you. So thank you so much for listening to the Reframing Our Stories podcast. Jenny and I hope to continue to bring to you different materials and resources and you know, guides to help you learn and have these conversations as we journey together. 